Hello and welcome, esteemed gamers, friends, listeners. It is Leighton here from Leighton Night with Brian Wecht, and I just wanted to tell you that if you're looking to get even more podcast goodness to put in your face, then we've got just the thing for you, which is the official Leighton Night Patreon. We have several tiers where you can get access to recommendation lists for every episode, listen to Patreon-exclusive minisodes, get into the super awesome fan Discord, and watch videos like Brian's songwriting process for jingles on the show, or me taking apart and cleaning my mechanical keyboards. It's really fun and cool, and we super appreciate your support. It's neat. We would love to see you there. Without any further ado, here's the episode. Enjoy. Love you. Bye. Jay, I think I told you. Well, actually, uh, I know I told you because we had the gaming reporter from the Washington Post on a couple of weeks ago, Gene, and we recorded the whole thing. And then I had a call with Jay for Nexus, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, right after that. So I had a hard out and we stopped the recording and we lost the entire episode. And I had to go right into a call with Jay. And it was the first time that it's been like, oh, fuck. That is the worst sinking feeling. Yeah. Especially because, like, you know, we've had it happen over 15 years. It's happened to us, I think, twice. Yeah. Where we lost something significant. And it's like trying to recreate it is like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was worried it was going to be that way. And uh, Gene was a real fucking trooper and got on with us the next day. And, like, I think that that episode was way better. Yeah. Dude, 15 years. That's crazy that you guys have been doing it for 15 years. I know. I don't think I've done... Anything for 15 years in, in my entire life other than just existing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's it's such a weird idea. Like, yeah. I, when we started it, there was no prediction, no idea that anything was going to even happen. Like, was there a heartbeat there or not? We had no idea. Yeah. I mean, shit, I guess we have to introduce ourselves right now. This is unusually early. This is a disaster for this podcast. <laughs> what are we without our 45-minute meandering cold open about which celebrities are hot? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, this is Layden. Hi, that's me. Uh, the other one's Brian. What's up? Yeah, that's him. Uh, this podcast is called Layden Night. Have we ever actually said, like, welcome to Layden Night? Or, you know, I think we've never done it, right? We, we haven't, but that's also not the name of the podcast. There's a full name, which is very important to say. Yeah, you're right. It's, say it. Uh, sorry. <laughs> say the name. <laughs> it up. Say the name of the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Leighton Night with Brian Wecht. There you go. I'm your host, Leighton Gray, and the other <laughs> one is the aforementioned Brian Wecht. It's important to get this right. You're goddamn right. Other voice in this call, uh, would you care to introduce yourself? I'm Jay Novella. I am a co-host to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe podcast. Yeah. Jay, I can't remember how much we've talked about, how long I've been listening to you do your podcast. You said you've been doing it for 15 years, but I've been listening for at least 10, like well before we were like friends, just an unapologetic fan of, of your guys' show. Do we ever talk about this? I can't remember. I don't think so. I mean, I remember when we met, uh, th that was because of Story Collider. Yeah. And the way that things happened where it was much more business, like, you know, we were talking, we were being friendly with each other. There was no talk in the very beginning about 
listening to each other's work or anything like that. You know, you just had like this really cool thing that you were working on. I was really impressed with Story Collider and the whole thing surrounding that project. Yeah, yeah. But we didn't really just start to chit-chat with each other until we slid into a friendship, I guess, over the next couple of years. Yeah, exactly. I think that's fair. So, I mean, I guess we'll talk about this more later too, but now we organize this conference together. I mean, Jay, what what you do with Skeptics Guide is really the driving force behind it. But I think it was George Robb that introduced me to everybody. And then I gave a talk at Nexus and then kind of just kept involved with the, the conference there. And then like through working together on that, we just started becoming friends. Listeners who are unfamiliar with both Story Collider and Skeptics Guide, would either of you care to share? Yeah. So so Story Collider is a science storytelling podcast that uh, I started with uh, another guy, Ben Lilly, uh, like 10 years ago. Uh, I'm not really involved with it uh, at all anymore, but they do live storytelling shows. We started in New York. And it's true uh, personal stories about science. So if you look at old episodes, I'm on there. I hosted live shows with that for like, I don't know, six, seven years, something like that. And then would, you know, occasionally be on the podcast or whatever. So yeah, it's like a moth style science storytelling show. Cool. And then Skeptics Guide is? Skeptics Guide, at its core, it's a science podcast. But we have a, uh, a giant backbone of critical thinking. So, you know, it's called The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe because we look at everything through the filter of critical thinking. And that's a huge can of worms to get into. But in essence, the human brain is a wonderful, amazing thing, but it also has a lot of like heuristics that it does so we can function. And a lot of them is bad thinking. You know, like, like you know, as you've heard of Dunning-Kruger, you have cognitive biases, all sorts of things that happen unconsciously. And what we do is we talk about them. We talk about how to overcome them as an intellectual being. You can't run on autopilot. You have to really think about what's my brain doing to confuse reality and how can you overcome pieces of that? Once you learn about critical thinking, you'll see it everywhere. Just like, you know, if you somebody stole your bicycle, all you do is see bikes from that day forward. Well, it's the same with critical thinking. Yeah. Jay's show, they have five co-hosts. Three of them, including Jay, are brothers. And then it's Steve, Jay, and Bob. And then they have two more, Evan and Kara, who are not novellas, but are uh, very, you know, just everyone is like equally important to, to the show. And they all have, you know, fun, like great relationships with each other, personalities, etc. So the show is, uh, I think it's a very joyful show. Would you say that, Jay? I feel like you're, you know, you guys have a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. This whole thing came from basically, it's an extension of what it was like growing up in my house, sitting around the dinner table. So it has a very casual backbone to it, the way that we talk to each other. But we hit hard with the science. You know, we, we come in swinging when it comes to the quality of the information. Brian, you're, you're talking about, I think, the thing that actually has sustained us over the past 15 years. I usually compare it to like car talk. Like when I first heard about the Car Talk NPR show, I just don't care about cars the way that those guys do. I don't care about anything to do with cars other than it's got to work and the air conditioning has to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, because of totally. their relationship, the show was so awesome. Just yeah. hearing them joke around and the way that they talked with each other. And that is kind of what we have. We have a very family feeling vibe. 
Yeah, like you guys are constantly messing with each other. There's a very good natured thing that comes along with it. I mean, look, dude, like I've listened to a lot of science podcasts over the years, and I think yours is the only one that I've like literally have stayed with for, you know, 10 plus years now. A lot of them, it's just like after a while, it's kind of like, all right, that's, I guess I'm kind of done with that. You know, that, that vibe is over, but you guys keep it fresh and awesome every week. Yeah. It's like you come for the science, stay for the meatballs. (laughs) (laughs) I remember early on when I was listening to you guys, the guys on their show, they do like news items and stuff. And I remember being like, oh, I got to write those guys because you had some like something about Michio Kaku, you know, Mm -hmm. some bullshit that Michio Kaku said. And I think this was like right as the tide was turning against him in some Mm -hmm. sense. Like, actually, Leighton, do you know who Michio Kaku is? No idea. Okay. So he is this physicist. He's an older guy now. He's probably, what, in his 70s, maybe even 80s at this point? I'd say anywhere between late 60s and early 80s. Yeah. Um, And he is a huge, like, pop science uh, person. He wrote, what, Physics of the Impossible, all this other stuff. And he, he says shit that's just wrong. He kind of makes stuff up to sound cool. And he's this very, like, telegenic guy. And, you know, not everything he says is a total disaster, but after the, (laughs) you know, 40th time he's claimed something about a parallel universe being found, you're like, all right, dude, just like slow your roll. So (laughs) I remember you guys reporting on some story of, of his, I can't even remember what the fuck it was, but that was the first time I ever considered getting in touch, but I'm not the kind of guy who would like really write a letter. I think I might have sent an email. I don't remember if I did. I was like hooked in, I think, right around then. That was probably 2010. Got to be honest about this stuff. That's the problem. Like there's so much cronyism in any place that humans exist, cronyism exists. Like just because he's a scientist and a a science popularizer doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Like the second he put his foot over the line, somebody has to say something about it. A lot of people did, but we were one of them. Yeah. This is a question for both of you. What are uh, each of your respective like favorite episodes of uh, Skeptic's Guide or like most interesting thing that you've covered? Honestly, your guys' recent COVID coverage has been fucking awesome. I've been throttling news on my end. Just like I'm not checking it a lot because what, you know, what's it going to do? But having a weekly thing where for whatever, 15 minutes, I can get like, okay, here's, you know, what's going on. And one of the guys on Jay's podcast, his brother, Steve, is a doctor, a neurologist. And it's like, okay, here's a medical perspective on COVID. That that has been actually really, really useful recently. I mean, I think our COVID reporting has been um, one of the topical things that's come up in the last 15 years where I felt like this is legit public service. Like we were really digging into the details. Yeah. But to be selfish and, and answer what is my favorite thing that we've ever done one of my favorite interviews was with Rusty Swikert, who was a Apollo-era astronaut. You know, he described something that just stayed with me and stayed in the front of my brain since this. And it, we're going back about 10 years, I think, on that interview. He was talking about how it felt when the engines fire and what that 15 minutes was like getting into space. And it, it's such a visceral experience that You just don't hear astronauts talking about a lot. And he said that they strap them in so tight that it's painful. Mm. When the rocket engines blast, what happens is as it collects speed, as it gains speed, the ship actually shrinks from compression, right? Yeah. So the wind resistance is pushing against the nose of the rocket and the engines are pushing so hard that the, the ship literally mushes together. 
And then the second the engines turn off and that positive force coming out of the ass end of the rocket stops, the whole thing twangs back to its original size. Wow. And he said when it did that, he had loosened his straps and his body lurched forward. His head almost got killed by the dashboard. Wow. Right? Whoa. Oh, my God. Yeah. So so you got to hear, like, when he described it, you know, first of all, that was the era of space flight that captured me completely. You know, that is my fantasy, that, that being a kid when those things were happening and seeing the footage when I was young, it's like, you know, it was just like another piece of science fiction to me that I fell in love with. Would either of you, given the opportunity, go to space? Oh, God. Absolutely fucking not. Are you kidding yeah. me? <laughs> oh, sorry. You know what? D- l- let me be very clear about this. Given what you currently have to go through to get to space, absolutely yeah. not. If it gets, yeah. like, safer and easier, like, maybe, but I have zero interest in getting into a rocket and going to space right now. It just seems, like, dangerous and painful. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it would just be a big old panic attack. Right. My comment is how much Xanax can I bring with me? I mean, <laughs> I just don't know if I could actually get to the enjoyment part of it. Yeah. Because I exquisitely understand this idea that the atmosphere is like a paper thin layer of where humans can survive. And like, man, when you even go up 200 feet, the temperature immediately begins to drop. Like, talk about a hostile environment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, these people are so anomalous, like astronauts and people that can do this stuff and keep cool and totally like James Bond style, just not sweat it out. I don't think your average person can really handle it. And I know I'm one of them. I don't know. I I just don't know if I could get to the point where I'm looking out that window going, wow, isn't this amazing? I would be thinking of the 50,000 ways I could die. Yeah, the whole time. Yes. Yeah. Same thing with you, Layden. And also just like the 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 existential crisis of it all of like fuck, I'm in space. Yeah. The 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 place where I'm supposed to be is down there. Oh shit. Yep. Like n- absolutely not. We're just dust mites, you know. When Carl Sagan had them turn around the Voyager and look back at the Earth and it was a pixel of blue in the camera, you know, in the shot that it took. I mean, and we're a microscopic pixel on top of that pixel. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Oh, dude, I have never been so depressed as when in, I think it was my second year of grad school, I took a cosmology class and I was just like, fuck, nothing matters. You know, when you're talking about stuff, you know, effects that are, you know, on the order of, you know, megaparsecs, you realize that literally everything going on on Earth in a cosmic sense is just complete bullshit, but also is the most important thing. But I remember having a few nights in San Diego in the late 90s, like trying to do some fucking cosmology calculations, just staring up at a dark sky being like, I I don't know why anything matters at all (laughs) anymore. Ultimately, like being a human means that we assign value to everything that comes our way. We're making a judgment call on it and we're assigning some level of value. So it's not like we don't feel the value of anything. Of course we do. <laughs> I mean, shit, Brian, when you talk about the heat death of the universe and where everything is going to end <laughs> up being nothing yeah, eventually, that is so painful to me. I have to avoid certain areas of science because it's like a big, hot stick being slapped in my face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Totally. Yeah, it's totally upsetting. And I mean, it is totally humans kind of oscillating between the nihilism of, oh, none of this actually has meaning. And then like the iteration of absurdism of, oh, none of it has meaning. Therefore, I decide what matters. Yeah. But Oh, God. Keeping on the absurdism side of things is very hard sometimes. I know, right? Well, let me tell you, right now, what matters is wear a goddamn mask. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Because we actually don't want people to die or suffer through, you know, four to 15, 20 weeks of misery and then have heart problems. You know, it's like, so things do matter because we're in the mire. We're like in the swamp walking around with everybody else. And our time is important to us while that time exists, sure. So I don't think it doesn't matter. It does matter, but not to the universe. That's right. I mean, nothing is more important than keeping people healthy. That's ultimately what it is. The cosmic payback, Brian, Yeah. I hope is that the universe is aware of its own mortality and its suffering too. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it still wouldn't care about us. That's true. Yeah. Right. Because we're too small. But it's still like cosmic payback, because if we knew that, at least we can be like, well, yeah, but you know, too, you're going to live a lot <laughs> longer than me, but at least you got to suffer through your own shit. Yeah, totally. I do love the idea that like in a universe, a black hole is the social equivalent of, you know, not knowing anybody at a party. Like that's just a painful, <laughs> awkward yeah. thing. Black holes, they're, they're like the pimples of the universe, right? They're these really painful sore spots that just make the universe unhappy. They're energy vampires. Yes. <laughs> have you been watching that show, dude? I have been watching it precariously through Bob, my brother Bob. He doesn't stop talking about it. He sings the theme song to the show. The theme song rules. It's great. The whole show is fucking awesome. <sighs> hey guys, producer Jarek here again. The name of the show that they're talking about is called What We Do in the Shadows. But due to Brian's lack of professionalism, he forgot to say the name. I, I, I think I've even mentioned it on this show before. It's, it's great. And Mark Prosh as the energy vampire is, it's just one of the best characters. It's so funny. I'm a content creator, right? I have, I have multiple things that I'm involved with that are different enough where, you know, we do a science fiction show. We have the podcast. We have, you know, weekly live stream. We have a live stage show. And I'm suffering from this thing because I have kids that I'm a content creator that doesn't get to digest other people's content. And it bothers me. Yep. Big time. For sure. I can't focus for shit. And I end up like, you know, while I eat dinner and spending any moment not doing work, which is rare. Like I just throw on a Twitch stream that I don't care about where it's like, yeah, I'll watch this guy with a soothing accent play Dead by Daylight for three hours and then I will pass out like... I, I need things that I don't have to actively pay attention to because it's such a information overload at all fucking times that I cannot integrate new information right now. Yeah. Yeah. And now that every fucking thing on TV is serialized, you can't just watch TV without paying attention. Yeah. So I keep trying to watch these new shows, like these hour long drama shows I've been meaning to watch forever. And you put the kid to bed and start watching TV at whatever, 9.45, or Audrey goes to bed at, you know, usually I'm out by 9.30, and then I'm asleep half an hour later on the couch next to, you know, Rachel, and then we both wake up, and we're like, oh, fuck, yeah. I so we'll try to watch that show again tomorrow, <laughs> and then yeah. repeat every night for the rest of our lives, I guess. It goes away when the kids get older, but then you've kind of lost touch. Yeah. I just don't get pop culture anymore. And I, I just, and it's not an age thing. I'm just not the guy I was when I was in my 20s and 30s. Yeah. But I still want to be up to date, especially just from a, I want to know what's happening in the world. 
Yeah. This is why I think this podcast is so great. So one thing you don't know, Jay, is that Layton is much younger than we are. She is, Layton, I'll let you reveal this to Jay. You are how old? I turned 23 on August 4th. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm a baby. That's amazing. <laughs> Actually, I, I find out about so many gecks from Layton, like <laughs> all the various pop culture things that I'm missing. Just a, a whole 100 geck. Do you know what 100 gecks is, Jay? No idea. Right. So I didn't either before Layton told me uh, a few weeks ago. Well, you know what? You tell him, Layton. You know this better than I do. It's stuff that I hear murmurs about online that I don't understand. Like, I'm out of touch. I don't know what's going on. It's like, how is there hope for anyone older than I am if I, at, you know, 22 currently cannot understand what the teens are doing on TikTok? Like, it baffles me. Yeah. As we have talked about, TikTok is a whole fucking ecosystem that I have at this point committed to never being a part of. I dipped my toe in TikTok. First off, like I wanted to tell you guys before, my reality is essentially fed to me largely through Reddit, which it's one of those embarrassing things. Like I'm just starting to tell people now, like I'm a Reddit head. I can't help it. it it's, <laughs> it's goddamn crack. I've tried to get rid of the social media aspect of it. I just find subreddits that I find valuable. I focus on those, right? Well, Jay, we have a recurring irregular segment on this show which is called, What Are Your Subs? What are your subs? Tell me your subs. Yeah, as a fellow Reddit addict, where it's the first thing I check every morning when, when I wake up, and then, you know, that's bad for my brain development, but I, I just oh, can't help but scroll. If there are ones that you're embarrassed about, I especially want to know those. Those are the ones I'm most interested in. <laughs> yeah, okay. A lot of obvious ones like the atheism, uh, City of Heroes, which is a, a video game that I love. Layden, do you know City of Heroes? I don't know this one. I have never heard of this in my life. What is City of Heroes? I think it was late 90s, early 2000s, MMORPG superhero video came out called City of Heroes. And it lasted, what, four or five years? And then the company that owned it pulled the plug on it, even though it was making like a million dollars a month, because they wanted to basically a revenge thing that happened at the corporate level in the company mm. that owned it, right? And then the thing went completely dark. And what happened was somebody that worked at the company sent the code to the game to one of the top fans in the world of the game who was super active in the community. Just like sent the person the code, like the, the yes. code of the game. Of the entire game. Wow. Meanwhile, everybody else that loved City of Heroes was crying because it was a community. This game is really good. Really, really good. And, you know, to the level that we need to talk about it for about 20 minutes. But let me just give you the quick one, too. <laughs> so that guy secretly was letting people in on his gaming server that he created. And it was like an elite group of like 200 people that got to play. And then finally, it got exposed. Somebody like told the public that he did this. And then the game fully became released by fan effort. Wow. Re-released the game and the company that owned it just doesn't care. <laughs> really? They just said, screw it, it's not worth it. Let them have the game. <laughs> so we all play again. Were you part of that original, like that 200 group originally? Oh God, I wish. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. But I was there for the day that it reopened. Like it was called the homecoming version of the game. And it was really amazing. It was just such a cool thing to live through because we were massive fans of the game. Anyway, let's keep going here or else I'll just keep going on that. Okay. <laughs> so then I have directing, 
I have everything science, film, filmmakers, you know, games, gaming, Halloween, interesting as fuck. Very good. Okay, so that one sounds good. Oh yeah, I'm I'm on that. I'm on mildly interesting. Yeah. All the all the slightly interesting things. Yeah. Leighton, I'm so busy, I can't deal with mildly interesting. I have to do interesting as fuck only. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I like just how how truly like not interesting, mildly interesting is. <laughs> yeah. Every once in a while, you find something and you're like, oh, this is really good. Then you like, realize, why am I here and not on interesting as fuck? Yeah, I could be seeing as fuck things instead of this drawing of a baby dragon on the wall behind a bakery in my town. You know what? That's nice. That's cute. Wait, how reliable is interesting as fuck? Like, it, how well-sourced are the things there? There's some wild stuff on here. Like the pyramid capstone, an intact pyramid. Is that real? Seems like it is. I'd have to read it. I mean, I'm looking at it right now, too. And, I'm, and I, I did what you did. I said to myself, you've got to be kidding me. That exists? That exists, <laughs> and we didn't know about it. Like, yeah, crazy. So yeah, it, it is great. It is great. The thing about it is it's not political in any way. It's very escapism. You know, you just go on there and see like this from left field items that just pique your interest, which is great. Yeah. Uh, Minecraft, I have something called Next Fucking Level, which is people doing something epically well. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know that sub, Bladen? Uh Yeah, I don't sub to it, but uh, every once in a while, I'll, I'll hop in there. Photography picks power washing porn. <laughs> I can't believe that I enjoy this sub, but it basically it's people power washing stuff and you get that like orgasmic feeling of it's clean now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just love that. RDR2, which is Red Dead Redemption 2, which is a very good video game. Yeah. Mm. Room porn, science, science fiction, SGU, skeptic, Star Trek, Star Wars, technology. Today I learned. I love today I learned. Let me repeat that. Yeah. I love Today I Learned. Yeah, that's a good one. It's a cornucopia of cool facts that you largely don't have a clue about. And I, I love that. Yeah, I mean, that feels like the true spirit of Reddit, you know? Like, that feels like such a, oh, this is why I like this website kind of sub. Definitely. Yeah, and it's good because the people on there seem to be respectful of doing a good job of giving you the blurb. And if I really like the item a lot, I'll, I'll fact check it. And I haven't really found that many biased or complete bullshit things in it yet. So it's pretty good. That's awesome. Twisted Metal, Witcher, and World News, and You Should Know. Wait, what was the last one? You Should What? Things that you should know about. It's, in, it's more information-based. Like, like with COVID, you'll hear on that one like a lot of stuff about COVID. And here, like here's the first one that you'll see on there today. You should know if a job makes you pay money to work for them, it's a scam, period. <laughs> yes, that's true. Did uh, did world news go back to normal after all the mods left and then everyone just started posting uh, titty pics? I, you know, whenever that happens, I just, I de-sub it. Like, I just get rid of it because I have my own sources of titty pics that blow away anybody else's sources of titty pics. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It's in my list. I haven't been really looking at it there. I'm very careful about the news that I let trickle into my brain at this point. Yeah. So the mods like did a walkout for for what reason? There was a mass walkout for World News and then it just kind of became a free for all. But then like all of the people from r slash gone wild, which is like the Redditor porn subreddit, uh -huh. uh, just kind of hopped in there and just went wild. Uh, <laughs> it was predictable. It was a sight to behold. Wow. But that's interesting because our, our subs like do not have much overlap. Yeah. No. 
Leighton, what sub of yours do you think would be the farthest away from something Jay, I don't want to say cares about, but is into? R slash medical gore and R slash med dizzy. Uh, they're both just like exactly what it sounds like. Med dizzy is like interesting interesting kind of fucked up like medical professional talk about like here's this really weird case also if you're hearing me talk about this don't go look those up (laughs) they're not they're not safe for life uh very very gory and upsetting but they're it's really fascinating to me oh i followed that one instagram that you were talking about with the medical stuff what was it oh uh jessica m shannon or a different one uh yes i think it was that one and that follow lasted about three days. And I was like, I can't emotionally <laughs> handle this anymore. Yeah, it's a lot. There, I also yeah. follow like follow uh, crime scene cleanup Instagrams, which are sort of like the power washing porn, but with uh, blood. Yeah, a friend of mine told me, who is a fine artist, graphic artist, and he said, I can't absorb any of that stuff because I can't have it banging around inside my head. And when he said that, that was the day I stopped looking at crazy shit like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably smart. Uh, on the less fucked up side of things, I, I sub to r slash VHS because I collect VHS tapes, which is the most useless hobby. r slash Criterion, r slash Horror. Wait, Jay, do you have, how many VHS tapes do you currently have in your house? Any? I have like two or three that are like things I just got to bring to get converted that are more home video stuff. Yeah, yeah. I have a ton of DVDs, but VHS tapes and and me just don't want to see each other anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like a very nostalgic, comforting thing for me. So I have a bunch of like rare, you know, exploitation and horror stuff. You know, I've got the Twin Peaks box set of a bunch of ones that are like History Channel documentaries on aliens and shit. Wait, are you Um, are are you old enough, Leighton, that you watched VHSs growing up? Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, you are. Yeah. And you're, you're going to Blockbuster to pick up VHSs. Was, uh, oh, yeah. I'm, you're 23? Yeah. When did they stop? It was like, did they stop making them in like 2006? I guess. That sounds about right. The first like commercially available DVDs were like, what, 96, 97, something like that? Okay. They stopped making VHS tapes in 2008. Wow. Okay. Which is late, later than I thought it would be. Yeah, that is later than I thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah, we got rid of all of ours years ago. I will say one of my favorite subreddits is r slash deep into YouTube, where people just post like YouTube videos that only have like 100 views. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you find like a lot of really interesting stuff. A couple of episodes ago, I was talking about the guy reviewing eating a canned tarantula. That's where I found it. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at the front page of the r slash deep into YouTube subreddit, Brian, I found something of interest to you. Um, that I'm going to drop in the chat of this Skype call so that we may all view it together. So listeners, the title of the video is All Star, but it's played on mayonnaise. <laughs> has one 1,740 views. This is some very wet slapping. Oh, okay. I'm finally watching this. I just got to the mayonnaise slapping part. And this is why Reddit's great. You just get a steady drip of this shit all the time. It doesn't actually go anywhere from this. This is actually it. Yeah, I love this. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. <laughs> yeah. But there's an initial pouring part that lasts about 15 seconds. Okay, so let's say you tap out a song in your head. When you guys do that, can you hear the notes in your head? And then you try to tap it for someone. You're like, hey, guess what song this is? And they have no clue. 
Do you ever do this? Yeah, I mean, you're because your brain is overlaying, you know, your memory of the music. Yes, and it's fascinating to me. And then when I just tap it, like it, the tap seemed more pitched to me, and I get why. Mm. It's exactly what you're saying, but. Like Audrey and I do this all the time where I'll like tap out a rhythm on her back and see if she can guess the song or something like that. And then she'll do it to me. Like it's, it, it's a fun thing to do with kids, but it is amazing how obvious it can be to you that, the, oh, of course it's happy birthday. And then everyone else listening is like, no, I don't hear that at all. <laughs> this is just slapping, gentle yeah. slapping. There's got to be some way of like priming the pump or, or something like that, priming people's brains to hear the pitches. I don't know. That should be a study. <laughs> Seems like it, right? <laughs> uh, what I was going to say is, so there's, you know, we talked about subreddits that we like. There's a subreddit that I frequently check that I hate more than anything. Ooh. And I look at it so I can be mad. Hit us. And that's a little place called r slash movie details. Mm -hmm. Do you know this one, Jay? I, yeah, I think I remember it. Isn't it reverse engineer movies and it just shows you how shitty they are? No, it's not even that. It's just people taking like... I don't know, basic subtext and set dressing and being like, look at how crazy, isn't this crazy, guys? It, it's very much the like, uh, anybody else notice that throughout Breaking Bad, the, the clothes change colors as they get more evil? It's like, come on, dude, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Go fuck yourself. That is the one I was talking about. Yeah, so they, it's like they show you the things that the director and the writer had put in there, like all the Easter eggs and all the layering of how things change. Could be a camera angle that changes. It could be uh, the color, you know, like just the way that they, yeah. they treat the film. Um, sometimes that could be fun, especially if you're a massive fan of a film and you want to get drilled down into what the people behind the scenes actually were doing and thinking. A lot of times, though, I, I find that that stuff is just boring. I just don't care about it. Well, it's boring or it's just like, okay, so I'm looking at one right now. In Kill Bill Volume 1, the bride tells the Crazy 88 to leave behind their limbs, claiming they belong to me now. This is a direct reference to her first sparring session with Pai Mei. He refused to let go of her arm, claiming the same ownership. It's like, yeah, you know how you, like, write a fucking story, dude? Like, I, yeah. <laughs> it drives me insane because it, it's like this eschewing of basic media literacy to be like, isn't it nuts how people put intention into movies? <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand, but but there will be people who read that. Probably most people, I would argue, who read that and they're like, "Whoa, fuck, that's yeah. crazy!" Like, and but it's exactly what you said, Layton. It's basic media literacy and realizing that like every word on that page was written by a human being who also wrote the other words that were on previous pages and future pages. But guys, keep in mind though, Reddit is largely thirteen-year-old boys. Right. But I mean, that's why it bothers me, because it's this like redditization of media where it's taking basic subtext and treating it like it is. The core of what I'm trying to say here is we've talked several times on this show about the way that people try to interpret David Lynch's work by mm -hmm. trying to pin, you know, all of it down. And like, here's my grand theory about what Laura Palmer represents. Right. Like. Come on. Like, it's great to have theories and stuff, but people reach so hard for it. And it feels like if if that's the way that you treat a David Lynch movie, you've kind of missed the point of a David Lynch movie, which is like, it's great because it's like dream logic. And in dream logic, it's, it's what it means to you, like on an emotional, visceral level, not necessarily like assuming all these things that were either done on purpose or not done on purpose. Maybe my perspective on this comes from like in Dream Daddy, 
there's the cult ending that we did plant a lot of seeds. Well, so I think you need to tell Jay what Dream Daddy is. Oh, yeah. Dream Daddy, a dad dating simulator is a dating sim where you play as a hot dad and your goal is to meet and romance other hot dads while you raise your teenage daughter who is about to leave for college. This is a game that I co-created and co-wrote. It's all right, I guess. But <laughs> Well, okay, because Layton rushed through that because you're allergic to giving yourself credit for awesome stuff. Uh, Layton cr- co-created a video game that was like the indie hit of the summer, the year it came out. And uh, she is a very, very talented writer and artist and made this amazing thing that was a huge hit. And it was a dating sim video game. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate yes. you being my hype man here. Of course. Uh, but, you know, it's a very, like, surface level horny funny game Mm -hmm. but there's a secret ending that you can only get if you create jimmy buffett in the character creator and then play through the whole game with picking up on certain hints and it's like oh one of the dads is like cult leader serial killer you have to get away Ooh, spooky but there's a like 20 minute long youtube video that's like dream daddy's cult ending explained and it it picks up on some of the hints that we put in but largely it's a ton of like unintentional shit that we did that they're like this was totally like foreshadowing it's like no i mean you can give me the credit for it i don't really <laughs> i mean you can you can try it but like that has totally given me like a different perspective on stuff where it's like you know a lot of this stuff is done with intention yeah. a lot of this is just people reading way too into it Leighton, can i give you another perspective though yes go for it a lot of people waste a lot of time fanboying and going too far you know and it's it's up to you to judge what's too far however i have a poetry background and i learned about The idea that if the text of the poem can support your theory, then your theory is therefore determined to be relevant, right? So Mm -hmm. if, if people can legitimately find connections, whether they're deliberate or not, and they're finding things that, you know, thematic ideas that are there, we shouldn't just dismiss them wholeheartedly. One, because I think out of most mediums, like film at its best, can be so unbelievably riddled with layers. Mm-hmm. You know, like Stanley Kubrick, as an example, just had so much going on in, in what he created. So I'm not saying it's not all there, but I know what you're saying, and I agree with you about what you're saying, because it get, it seems to be ridiculous, and it seems to be like just an epic waste of time, because you're pretty damn sure that it wasn't intended, and so what? And so what? That's the problem. But with poetry, like I found that like a different interpretation of a poem, it was interesting. It's interesting to hear other people's interpretation because as long as it's there in the text and you can kind of say, yes, this connects to this, connects to this, and it makes sense, it is valid even if it wasn't intentional because that's art. Yeah, absolutely. And I I certainly don't mean to dismiss like why media inherently is great because it's so subjective and open to interpretation. I think my issue lies with tone, I think, of where people get very monocular about this is my theory and this is the only theory that is correct, where it's like, no, you're automatically dismissing a ton of other things just because you were like, this is the true meaning. People misuse what death of the author is a lot and that kind of thing bothers me. It's the same thing as seeing because I like film stuff and I like watching film stuff that YouTube's like, do you want to see that you have Midsommar's ending explained. Like, I don't know. I feel like it, that kind of thing just cuts off like viewers just thinking about the thing and instead is like, here's exactly what you should think about it. Yeah. 
Yeah. The attitude that goes with a lot of that stuff, sure, I, I could easily like not ever have to deal with that ever again. I don't like it when people are devised this like, you know, a grand theory on something and then there's attitude attached to it. Of course, that's just slap it off the table. Yeah. So, Jay, I have a question that's unrelated to subtext or media literacy in any way whatsoever, or maybe some media literacy. But I guess after a cursory looking at Skeptic's Guide, uh, it seems like you guys cover conspiracy theories a bit. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm curious if there are any that hold water for you. Well, any conspiracy theory that holds water isn't really a conspiracy theory. True. It's a tough question because there are conspiracies. I could argue that there is a significant one happening in the White House right now. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about a grand conspiracy, when we talk about the idea of flat earth as an example, you know, these things crush under the weight of their own ridiculousness because the amount of people that would have to be in on the scam, in on the lie, gets to the point where it would never be able to happen. Yeah. It becomes implausible. Yeah. People are not that coordinated. But I, I guess the thing about conspiracy thought that's interesting to me is because it is sort of like that attempting to make order out of chaos kind of thing that similarly happens with a lot of like sprawling theories about pieces of media where it's like, I want a narrative because otherwise these like random coincidences or evils are like too hard to digest. Yeah. W would you agree with this, Jay? It's sort of a pareidolia thing, right? It's mm. finding patterns, which our brands are good at, which you guys talk about all the time on the show because it's a common theme, where there are no patterns. But your brains, for whatever reason, maybe there's some Evo psych reason for it, if you believe that stuff or not, our brains are just good at overlaying patterns on top of random noise. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And also intent. We are storytelling uh, creatures. You know, we, we run th through narrative. And this idea that somebody could look at a data set, any, whatever it is, look at a bunch of different discrete pieces of information and they can draw parallel lines between them and say, these are connected. And then they come up with a story behind that. You know, that, that, is, that is real. And that happens all the time and we're all very good at it. But there are people who I think do it to such a degree that they're finding patterns that are irrelevant, that are not actually patterns. And then they're taking it to a level where they also make themselves part of a group of people who are in the know and it makes them special. Mm -hmm. And those people love that feeling of knowing we're like, you know, one of the few people who understand this and know this. I mean, that is a typical thing that is, uh, is present when you have people that are dealing with believing heavily in a conspiracy theory. They're always going to be there until we pair ourselves up with computers and are able to delete pieces of code from our thinking. It's always going to be there, just like religion. And there's nothing we can do about it other than just educate people at a younger age when we can get access to them. You know, and I don't want that to sound creepy, but young people have, uh, have very pliable ways of thinking and they can be influenced both negatively and positively. And that's why I want critical thinking and science to become something that's taught to children in school. You know, as an example, you take little kids, you show them a semi-crappy magic trick. You know, take five, six, seven, eight-year-olds, show them a crappy magic trick. They love it. And they immediately scream over it because they're excited. And, and a portion of them are even going to want to get involved and then somehow figure it out on their own. Mm -hmm. And when you do the reveal to them, they're not let down. They're intrigued. Yeah, for sure. They, they want more of that secret and they love it. And that that craving of that type of thinking and, you know, feeling that way 
slowly goes away for a lot of people. You know, you could show that same magic trick. And let's say you're just you're showing a fantastic magic trick and you show it to teenagers, they're just not going to have the same emotional response. And I think it's important to teach kids, you know, the wonder of being tricked and the wonder of understanding at an early age. It just works. It gives them a perspective on thinking. I have a seven-year-old who I'm working on teaching him humility. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a big one, dude. Like no one has, in my experience, more big dick energy than a six year old girl. Yeah. Like it is <laughs> yep. the ultimate. We get owned all the time by our daughter. I mean, she thinks like potential owns where she's just like, hey, daddy, did you know the bacon comes from a pig? Or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, you know, everyone know like it's yep. it's the kind of thing she thinks she's just blowing our minds all the time. And then she'll like strut out of the room, like she practically does little <laughs> mic drops. Yeah. And course. we'll just walk away, right? And it's uh it, it's very cute, but at the same time, you just want to be like, okay, well, you don't know everything. Also, 70% of the stuff she said is just incorrect. Yeah, You know, because she's six, she doesn't know stuff. So uh, I've been thinking a lot about, especially with a girl, how do you boost her confidence while also teaching her humility? Because what I don't want, and I'm very aware, right, of the way that, I mean, Jay, you have a daughter too. Like, you know, I'm very aware of the way that society treats women and yep. disrespects and denigrates women's perspectives. And I never want her to feel like, you know, we don't have her back or that she's not, you know, awesome. But I also want to be like, okay, Audrey, like dial it the fuck back a minute here. You know, I'm actually 40 years older than you are. And maybe this is something I know something about. So I've been thinking a lot about how to boost confidence while teaching humility. And it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a hard balance. Of course it's hard. I mean, look, you're talking to essentially a drunk, insane person. Oh, yeah. That's how I think of my kids' mentality. Like, And trying to teach them concepts that are a little bit bigger than what their brains can handle is our job, but it's also super difficult. I think just repetition and patience are, are it. You know, teaching my kid the thing that he wants reality to be, which he wants himself to be the center of the universe. Yep. Mm -hmm. particularly my son, Dylan, who is, is a very, very smart kid. Everything is through his one little lens and that's it. And I'm just trying to tell him like, while you were doing that, I'm over here doing this and I get to enjoy what I'm doing. Just like you want to enjoy what you're doing. Like he doesn't get these concepts. He, he's like, what you're, you, you know, you want happiness too, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it will work because it worked on us, Brian, like somebody taught us, some of this stuff and it's stuck. And I know it's going to work for people like you and I, Leighton, I, I don't know you well enough. And I'm, I don't think you have kids at 23, right? No, I have a small freak chihuahua who's trying to lick my face right now, but no human <laughs> children. Yeah. It's the, it's the most wonderful pain in the ass you'll ever do is have a child. It's, it's fantastic. And it's right. super hard, super yes. hard. And when I look at other parents, like I look at Brian and we both know that the other guy knows and gets it the camaraderie is, is explosive because you're just like, oh my God, you know, I got 20 yeah. minutes to myself today and, and people legitimately feel happy for you. Yeah. But yeah, we're trying to teach them these concepts and it, it takes time, but, but there's so much fun that can be taught to them 
and they don't get it. They don't understand that they're being taught <laughs> when we're showing them magic tricks. And like, you know, my, my son knows that magic doesn't exist. And he wears it like he's got armor on. He's like, I know magic doesn't exist. And he'll tell other kids and, and everything. But then in the same breath, he can be asking me about Santa Claus. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm not dispelling all the fun stuff, but I am like trying to teach him that there's a harsh edge to reality, like tricky people and all that stuff. I'm sure you're teaching your your daughter about, Bri, like, you know. Oh, yeah. There are some adults who are not good adults and they're tricky people and you got to stay away from tricky people. I taught my told my kids, no adult ever needs you to actually do anything for them. If some adult asks you to help them with something, that's a tricky person. Oh, that's a good way of saying it. Like, can you come with me and help me X? Nope. That's a tricky person, right? All that. Gotta, you got to play yeah. mind games with them so they get it. Yeah. Yeah, just as, as long as you don't run drills on your child about we're going to role play you being kidnapped. Yeah. If As long as you don't do that. <laughs> I take it, Leighton, you have some experience with this. I do indeed. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to scare the fuck out of your child. Yeah, I know. You're going to do it no matter what because it's hard to avoid, but you got to make the goal... Your whole life has to become teaching those kids. It's so wild how their brains just seize on what are what you think is like a minor detail about something, and then they get obsessed with it. So for a while, uh, did either of you watch Onward, the newest Pixar? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. It wasn't awesome, but there was some great stuff in it. I thought the ending was really great, and then everything leading up to it was... Not Pixar's best. You agree with that? Absolutely. It was like a cheesy D&D adventure in a sense that yeah. didn't have the punch that usually Pixar delivers. Yeah. Uh, Layton is not the world's biggest Pixar fan, so you would have really hated it, Layton. Um, <laughs> Sick, but love it. The point is, at one point in the in the movie, there is a gelatinous cube, a large green gelatinous cube that... When we were watching the movie, I did not realize it would be a topic of conversation for the next three weeks mm-hmm. in our house. And this gelatinous cube is on screen for, what, maybe two minutes, maybe? Yeah. And all Audrey could talk about for weeks was, what's a gelatinous cube? Uh, she can't say the word gelatinous, though, so she would say the lejatin, the you know, the lejacinous cube. Yes, and it was really, really cute. And she'd be like, you know, Daddy, I'm I'm scared that there's a legatinous cube outside, you know. And we're like, okay, well, is she actually scared about that? Is she scared about something else? Is she actually lonely? What is it about? Well, I mean, they're awesome. It's a large green gelatinous cube, so I get it. But like, what what specifically about it captured her? It's just some random, random yeah. thing. That's always interesting to me. It's also right now, like, there's so much to be scared of in the real world. And, yeah. you know, I'm sure, Jay, your kids are aware, or at least uh, Dylan's aware that they haven't been going to school for a reason. Oh, you know, yeah. There's a virus out there. It's a huge source of anxiety. You know, my daughter is like upset that she can't, you know, really hug and kiss her family members, you know, like their grandmothers. And, you know, we haven't seen um, my my wife's husband, uh, my wife's father. He, <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know what day it is, to be honest with you guys. Um, <laughs> my wife's father, my father-in-law, he's a great guy, but, you know, he's still playing golf with his buddies. And we told him straight up, 
you're going to do that. You can't see us. You're not going to see your grandkids. You know, not to be a jerk, but you know, there is something that out there that's killing people. And the kids are very upset about it. And they're like always reminding each other, wear your mask, you know, don't touch people. So it's a lot of it. It's a lot of it in there. And I hate it because yeah. I don't want my kids to deal with the stress of this crap. It is stressful for kids too. Oh yeah. It's super stressful. Yeah, I'm, I'm very concerned about the long-term effects of this, especially with how just, you know, how children's brains are gelatinous cubes. Yeah. yeah. So you guys want to yeah. hear something fascinating and, and horrifying? Yes. <laughs> so when kids go on summer break and they go back to school, it takes them about two months to get back into the intellectual zone that the teachers want them to be at, where they're really learning and they're like at, at peak, you know, school-worthy level, right? Because mm -hmm. they detune over the summer. So what happened last spring with all the kids being homeschooled was that they slowly detune. Now they, instead of having a two-month detuning, they have like a five or six-month detuning. And the professionals who completely understand this are saying, kids really need to go back to school this fall because this could snowball into a much bigger problem for all yeah. kids in school. So they're like, yeah, they had an extra three months of like not being properly schooled in a formal environment with, with positive adult supervision and peer interaction and all that. What if we have to homeschool our kids this fall because they don't get it? Yeah, it's scary. You know, because the government doesn't get their shit together. It's a weird problem because we can't just snap our fingers and have COVID go away. So I'm worried about what happens, you know, to all the students yeah. in the world that have to not go to school this fall. So it's a no-win situation. There's no way yep. to win. That's the problem, is that kids have to be in school, but they can't be in school. And that's just what it is. So yeah, online learning is fraught, but when kids get lice, they can't even contain, you know, this lice spreading in a school, let alone this shit. I yeah. mean, it's... Uh... And the fact that we don't have a national set of standards and protocols for dealing with like when schools can reopen and what they do when there's an outbreak is just fucking stupid. And it is irresponsible. It takes a car accident to put a stop sign up, you know? And yeah. this is the big stop sign situation for everybody in the world. Like we have to have protocol for this. And, you know, I don't want to get into the whole politics thing because it just, it's a never ending screaming match. Uh, but there was a lot of things that were just straight up dissolved by the latest administration that were, were in place to handle a lot of what's been happening to us the last six months. For sure. Yeah. It's, oh, it's been six months. Yep. Yeah. It's a disaster. Actually, before we started recording, LA schools announced they will be going online only in the fall. They just announced it like today. <sighs> okay. And something. it's the right decision because people are not taking it seriously. And like had cases stayed kind of low, that might be one thing, but because yep. of the surge, schools are not reopening. And this is what drives me, I, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much, but drives me so insane about the whole mask thing is like, you're not only giving other people uh, a bad disease, you're also ruining things like schools reopening for everybody. So when a bunch of assholes go out there and hang out with their friends and don't wear masks and do whatever, you're fucking it up for literally everybody, just so you can you know, I don't know, act like things are normal. Like, uh, honestly, I'm so reluctant to ever say this, but fuck those people. I get that they're not bad people. And, you know, I have friends who are doing this too. So I don't want to, you know, make blanket statements about whatever, but it, it really is fucking it up for everybody. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's only extending the timer on like how long we have to deal with it. Or it's like, oh, you couldn't take this for X number of months. And so now you're just extending this like further and further. And I uh, I had the realization that I love movies. I love movie theaters. I don't know when the next time that's going to be a thing. No. And, and you know what? The last thing I saw was Uncut Gems. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> or wait, fuck. It was the new Ring remake. That, that's no! what I thought. Uh, <laughs> I am very excited to see Palm Springs. Have you guys heard about this? Me no, too. I, I don't know anything about it. So it is, it just came out on Hulu. It's like an Andy Samberg Groundhog Day style movie. It's about a time loop. And uh, it was supposed to be a big release. I didn't know it was about a time loop. Oh, hell yeah. I, I don't know much about it and I, on purpose because I hate reading about stuff. I will watch any time travel movie. I don't fucking care. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> and I love Andy Samberg too. I think he's amazing. So uh, apparently the shtick is, uh, minor spoiler for the next 10 seconds, it's Groundhog Day, but the loop has been going on for a while and he gets pulled into someone else's already existing time loop. Hmm. That's fun. He like goes to a wedding in Palm Springs and there's this meets this girl there and then at some point gets caught up in the loop and then goes on from, from there. So from what I've been reading, it's like, I mean, Groundhog Day, I think is an almost perfect film. I love it so much. I don't know if I've ever told you this, Layton. I, uh, did I tell you this, Jay? I, I taught for one year. I taught high school in uh, in Kent, Connecticut. Oh, I didn't know that. What happened? Was it a good yeah, experience? Well, no. It was one of the worst <laughs> experiences of my life. So it was the year right after I graduated college. And I was going to go to grad school for music and then decided to go for physics instead, but needed to do something for a year. So I taught high school at a boarding school. And I applied for jobs in like August. And Kent school had something come up. And then they hired me. But the thing, I know I've told you that, Layden, before, but the thing I don't think I told you is that while I was going through this, what was a really awful time in my life, my girlfriend was on the other side of the country, and I was just living this horrible, repeating lameness of being stuck in a place I didn't want to be. The movie that was on constant repeat on TV was Groundhog Day. And <laughs> I would get home from teaching, home being a dorm, you know, 50 feet away from my classroom, and turn on Groundhog Day and watch Groundhog Day three times and then repeat that every day. Oh my God. And I, I still love that movie, but- That's very soul crushing. <laughs> oh, not the time I needed to be watching Groundhog Day. <laughs> my God. Yeah. I'll have to watch uh, Palm Springs. It, it just reminds me of, have either of you seen um, Celeste and Jesse Forever? Mm -mm. No. Oh, that's a real feel bad indie movie, but it's Andy Samberg <laughs> and Rashida Jones- and it's a really, I love that movie so much. It's just like two people growing apart and it's sad, but also Rashida Jones hits like a really tall, like four foot bong, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a good time. It, it's very like, you know, naturalistic mumblecore kind of thing. It has a great soundtrack with some like aerial pink on it. You know, it's just a good time. That's awesome. Yeah. I love her. I mean, it's a terrible time, but it's a good time. Right. So Jay, this is our pop culture. <laughs> recommendation segment <laughs> okay uh which is to say this is the segment where we recommend things in pop culture it has a very popular theme song which uh, i'm about to play for you and then you can tell us what you think about it here's the theme song what's popping what's popping i didn't hear anything 
All right. So as usual, that bit failed. You want to email me the sound file and I can listen to it? <laughs> no, it's... Uh, yeah, yeah. Brian, you made this bed. Lie at it. Should I just stop doing it? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I Sometimes it's, it's clear to people that I'm doing a bit. Sometimes it's not. It's always a bad time, no matter what happens. It used to work when we were doing it in person. And now that we do it remotely, it's it just seems like a technical difficulty. Were you making a noise with your mouth or something? Like, what was happening? No, it was just total silence. Yeah, see, this, this is actually, I think, the worst it's ever failed. <laughs> Forcing him to explain his terrible bit in the past. I always yell at him about it. Now I'm so tired that I just let it happen. But it's actually, this was the easiest one for me to do because Jay is the closest friend we've ever had on the show. So I thought... It would be a good chance to do it. It's a bonding ex. It's like a trust fall. But I, I need to hear something, right? Right. So the fact that you didn't is the bit. Oh okay. yeah, he, Brian never plays anything. He we just sit there in uncomfortable silence. Oh, yep, you got me. <laughs> I you know, I, I would say most people don't get it. I think that's fair. People who listen to this podcast insist on the bit. We debated stopping doing it, and the people wanted us to continue, and now it just feels aggressive. Do you do you want me to give them like a, a better reaction? Or no, it's oh, it's the real one that they want. Uh, it is genuinely a point of contention whether this works or not, since it works yeah. about half the time. Yeah, and it absolutely did not work this time. In fact, I would argue this is the hardest hardest it's ever flamed out, which is great. Don't forget who you're talking to. I mean, I am constantly thinking of the audio quality of this recording. And that's that, you know, a good point. As a producer, I am like, immediately I went to the stinger didn't play. What happened? You know, what can I do right. to help? <laughs> See, that's your error was assuming a base level of competence that <laughs> I, I certainly don't have. So anyway, the segment is called, it's called what's poppin' late and what's poppin'. What's poppin' for me is been on a big Michael Mann kick after watching Manhunter. So uh, the other day I watched Collateral Oh, Collateral Rules. Wow. I haven't seen that in forever. I Yeah, I was just like blown away by it. I, I'm not an action person much, but it was just like the perfect distillation of that. I don't like Tom Cruise either, but he's great. I noticed about him when he runs, he has a perfect center of gravity. Like mm. he, he holds his body like very straight and it's all from like the core. And I'm like, okay, I get why he's just cast as man who runs a lot. Yeah, that's a, that's a brilliant observation. Now that you say that, I can see him <laughs> running very well in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so like straight, like the perfect like flat palm, <laughs> his arm pumping. Yep. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was completely delightful and I'm excited to watch more Michael Mann movies. That said, I've had so many men be like, you haven't seen Heat? Why haven't you seen Heat? And it's like one of those ones that dudes yell at me for not seeing like RoboCop or Blade Runner, which I finally watched. Yeah. And I feel like I, out of stubbornness, will not watch those movies. Like I'll watch one a year. Like I watched Blade Runner this year. That's my one. Maybe next year it'll be Heat. I, You know, I'm standing the man. Michael Mann got a stand. <laughs> yep. I also didn't know as I was watching it that Manhunter was filmed in my hometown. Oh, cool. And I didn't know until my dad texted me having listened to this podcast. <laughs> that, well, that's always fun, though. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of weird stuff filmed in my hometown. Tell Jay your hometown. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm from Wilmington, North Carolina. So uh, Super Mario Brothers movie, a lot of Nicholas Sparks movies, uh, Iron Man 3, uh, Dawson's Creek, One Tree Hill, obviously. Yeah. Other things. Oh, Maximum Overdrive. Can't forget Maximum Overdrive. Awesome. Yeah, I was thinking I live in Connecticut and usually what they do is they mention Connecticut as the place that rich people go to get out of the city. 
<laughs> yeah. I was just listening to a podcast we do talk about in the show occasionally, Judge John Hodgman. Do you know that one, Jay? Do you ever listen to that? No. It's great. It's John Hodgman that has like a fake internet court. And they were talking about how a, some school teacher in, I think, Fiji got her third graders to rank the world's skylines in just in terms of beauty. Mm -hmm. And the number two, according to a bunch of third grade uh, students from Fiji, according to them, the second most beautiful skyline in the world is Hartford. Wow. Yeah, right? Which wow. I couldn't tell you what the Hartford... I need, a, I need a visual on this. Yeah, I don't remember what the Hartford skyline is. All I remember about Hartford is driving past it a lot on 84. It's nice. All right. Does it stand out to you as a native Connecticut person as a nice skyline, Jay? I mean, there's a couple of buildings that are pretty. There's a gold-leafed uh, building. Yes, that, that one I remember. That is very pretty. But to me, it's just like something that happens in a flash. You come and go out of Hartford so fast when you're riding up the highway that goes through it. I just don't think much of Hartford. So, Jay. Yes. What's popping? All right. So one thing, I missed a meme that came out three or four years ago of a stuttering little kid that was talking about his dreams. That was so freaking funny. Um, <laughs> I can play it for you if you want. You want to hear it? Sure. Sure. And you will actually hear something when I play this. Wow. That's cold. <laughs> just saying, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Professionalism. All right, here he is. Have you ever had a dream that that you um you had you 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 could you do you you want you you could do so you you do you could you you want you want him to do you so much you could do anything. <laughs> that, that blows my mind. Very that cute. Simply blows my mind out of the back of my head. That was just my, like the funnest dumb thing on the internet that came through my, my way. Um, but I'm super excited about two TV shows, the second season of two TV shows. One of them is The Boys, and the other one is the second season of The Mandalorian. Awesome. Layton, you should watch both of these shows simply because you exist and you need to. <laughs> okay. The Boys, though, is in particular, right? The Mandalorian is, is actually legitimate Star Wars content, which there's so little of that these days. But... The Boys <laughs> is about what would superheroes be like if they were actually real. They're monsters. Mm -hmm. And it's like the answer is they suck? Yeah, the answer is that corporations and huge uh, money conglomerates would, would control them. And governments would try to control them. The, the, what happens is they tend to not be good people because of what, what that level of fame and power does. And it, it, it just is such an incredibly different perspective on the whole genre, right? Because I mean, I like superhero genre a lot, but I'm a little burnt out on it. You know, I need to take a break for a little while. But this show has completely changed that that sentiment just because it's better than yeah. all the other superhero shows out there. It shows you things that you would be shocked. And I love that about the show. It's a very surprising uh, set of circumstances. I thought season one of The Boys was great. The worst thing about it was the bad CGI where there, were, there was a lot of it. But uh, overall, it, it the, the thing that was the most interesting to me is exactly what you said, Jay, which is stuff happened where I was actually surprised. Like yeah. there were left turns where I was like, what? Whoa. And that is so rare, right? These, these days. It doesn't really follow tropes. It, it, it just has its own 
thing going on that you haven't seen yet. That is so awesome to me. The shit thing about being an immortal has to be that everything becomes a trope. Everything is a trope. Cool. Yeah. Well, that sounds fun. I'll, once I have the attention span to watch something for longer than 10 minutes before looking at my phone and doom scrolling, I'll have to... What, when does season two of Mandalorian come out? September. Oh, wow. That's way faster than I thought. They're just doing in post-production now. Oh, wow. Awesome. That's exciting. Cool. Brian. Yes. What's popping? It is also a TV thing. It's the new Perry Mason show on HBO. Have either of you guys watched this? No, I don't even know about it. No. Okay. So you know Perry Mason, like, you know, Raymond Burr, famous, you know, uh, like an illegal show. It's based on books, I think, but they rebooted it and it takes place in uh, 1930s LA. And it's a cool period drama with like, it's got the most A-list cast you can imagine on TV. It's got Perry Mason is the only dude I'd never heard of. Matthew Reese, I think, from The Americans. But it's got Tatiana Maslany from Orphan Black. Uh, Steven Root, who I will watch in literally everything. Oh, shit. Yep. John Lithgow. And he and Steven Root are like kind of, you know, uh, enemy Ooh. attorneys. Robert Patrick, right? The T-1000. Lily Taylor, who is is great. Shay Wiggum, who's in like everything you see, you've seen him around. He always plays like kind of a, a cop or a bad guy. Like he's kind of a, like a angular nose looking dude and living here in LA. Now there's a lot of like LA stuff that you're like, Oh cool. That's that place. That's that place. Yeah. Like many of these shows, maybe not the deepest thing in the world, but it is really fun to watch and look at. And I've just been really, really enjoying it. So basically cool. the, the MacGuffin is there's a child, like a very young child, basically a baby is killed and its eyelids are sewn open, which happens in like the first five minutes of the show. And I was not expecting and caused Rachel and I to be like, oh God, I don't know if we can do this. Uh, right. But once you get past that, it's not that graphic either. Like it's not a big deal. But sure. yeah, it's a it's it's a really great show. Also, just anytime John Lithgow shows up, I think it's great. I never watched Thirty Rock, Third Rock, sorry, not Thirty Rock. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Third Rock from the Sun. Never occurred to me that Thirty Rock and Third Rock were a factor of ten away from each other. That's interesting. Got him. Yeah, Stephen Root also oh, just like the best in everything. Bless him, love him. Yeah, yeah. I was rewatching uh, the back half of Barry with a friend. It was just oh, like, man, he's so good, he's so good. You know what? I I can't believe it's not really available anywhere. Is News Radio? Do you guys ever watch News Radio? Uh, when did that come out? It was like late nineties. It was a sitcom. So it had Dave Foley was the big draw for me, but Dave Foley, Steven Root, Andy Dick, Phil Hartman. That's the other big one. I think it was like the last oh. big show that Phil Hartman did. In fact, he died, you know, well, was murdered right before the last season. They replaced him essentially with John Lovitz. So it was really, really tragic. Maura Tierney. That's the other actor in it. Also Joe Rogan, but whatever. We don't need to talk about Joe Rogan. <laughs> right. He plays like a dumb handyman guy on the show, but whatever. The less said about Joe Rogan, the better. Anyway, uh, and that was the first time I ever saw Stephen Root. And I was just like, this guy rules. He plays like the kind of bombastic boss, Jimmy James. And it's fantastic. All right. Last segment is Peaches and Lemons. Peaches and Lemons. 
So peaches and lemons is a thing that I stole from my extended family, uh, which is like a gratitude practice of going around and sharing one lemon, which is a thing that was kind of a bummer in the past few days or whatever. Uh, and then three peaches, which are three things they can be as, you know, vague as sweeping as deep or as just minor and petty as you want them to be just something that uh, you're excited about or that was just something nice or that you're looking forward to. So uh, in lieu of lemons, because we kind of stopped doing lemons because there are too many of them right now, uh, we will <laughs> yeah. we will all go around and share three peaches. Cool. I'm happy to go first. Number one, Audrey got her first job, which is watering a neighbor's plants while they're away. And we, we were talking before about like humility. Well, this was not a lesson in humility because... She thinks she is like the most important person in the world mm -hmm. uh, because she is getting paid maybe a dollar. I, I don't really know, but it's essentially nothing to walk, you know, 50 feet into someone else's house to water their plants. And it's awesome. Like she feels so important and it's such a big deal. Like she went over with Rachel to do it the first time a few days ago. And I, she and I went over this morning and she was like, walking me through what to do. Like, I don't know how to water a fucking plant, but you know, it was a very cute moment and her first step towards financial independence. So <laughs> wow. yeah. Yeah. Right. First job. Okay. Second peach. Uh, I beat Donkey Kong country tropical freeze, which is not an easy game. And I finally beat <laughs> And also my fucking joy con stopped working. So if anyone listening to this knows what to do about this, I'd love to know. Like the buttons actually won't, work the a b buttons seem to essentially not be functioning half the time but i was still able to beat it and it's a hard game so that was like a moment of joy and the third peach actually this is okay so this is it's specifically because jay's here that i want to talk about this awesome conference thing that we're organizing and it's been a highlight of my year for i don't even know like almost 10 years now and we're a few weeks out so i want to tell everybody I'm going to combine this peach with a plug, which is to talk about <laughs> Nexus, uh, the Northeast Conference on Science and Skepticism, which is happening on, well, basically it's July 31st and August 1st. And uh, well, we can talk about this maybe a little more too later. It's a bunch of online talks. It's always been in person until this year. This year, it's going to be entirely online. Keynote speaker is, Jay, do you want to reveal? I know you've talked about it on your show, but. Oh, yeah, no, we, we've said it. Yeah, it's uh, Andrean, who is, she is an incredible science communicator. She worked on all versions of Cosmos, like wrote. Did she direct? I don't, for, I forget exactly what her role was. I think she did, and she mainly was the producer. The thing that blows my mind about her was her involvement with Voyager and the, the gold disc that's on Voyager. Yep. So she and her husband at the time, right, Carl Sagan, mm -hmm. were a big part of that. So people can go to necss.org to get tickets. It's online only. On Friday night, on the 31st, we're doing like this online game show thing, and we're going to have three contestants. Jay is hosting some of it. I'm hosting some of it. We actually have a call later today to talk about this very thing. And our three contestants that night are going to be our friends Andrea Jones-Roy, who's a political scientist, Leanne Lord, who's a comic, and Bill Nye, the science guy. Yeah. And he will be on it. Uh, he's done a bunch of stuff with the conference and with the Skeptics Guide uh, in the past. And he's agreed to be there. And we're going to try to really humiliate him. 
So it's going to be <laughs> yeah. it's super awesome. A lot of fun. So tickets are 25 bucks. And uh, if you buy them, you also get basically that amount discounted from next year's, hopefully, God, fingers crossed, in-person Nexus conference uh, in Atlantic City. It's actually, it's a full day of amazing science content. And it, it's, it's for basically science fans or just people interested in science. You don't need to be a scientist. In fact, most people there are not scientists. It's just for people interested in skepticism, critical thinking, and stuff like that. So NECSS.org. I can't believe it's only like two, three weeks away. Yep, two and a half weeks. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, that's my third peach, and it's also a plug. So, Layton. My first peach is that I finally upgraded from, you know, Ableton intro to Ableton standard. So now I have a lot more things to uh, play with, which is exciting. And I've been trying to make like a new little beat every day. And that's been uh, really fun. Like things make a little bit more sense to me now. And I still don't really know what I'm doing, but, you know, it's it's a good time and a nice way to do a creative thing that I don't hate myself about yet. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my first one. My second one is the other night I got uh, some Thai food delivered and I remembered that mangoes are in season now. So I got some mango sticky rice, which is oh, shit. one of my favorite foods in the world. And just like, oh, that that was really good. And now I want to get mango sticky rice just fucking constantly. <laughs> um, it's also like easy to make. I've made it a few times before and then it just turns into me fucking chugging coconut liquid <laughs> coconut cream out of the pan because you make the two different types you make like the regular liquid one that you put on the rice then you have to make the topper which is more of like a cornstarch sort of slurry and i just i just want to drink it i want to put the fucking rum in there and drink it it's so (laughs) thick and sweet uh it's the best my third peach is that i finished the deep cut script yes (laughs) fucking finally after months it's done i recorded half of it made a theme song for it so close. It's coming soon. So tell everyone and Jay what this is. Right. So I've been working on forever. I've been wanting to do this horror history podcast um, that's sort of an offshoot of Late Night. And so the first episode is about the history of found footage and how everyone kind of assumes that it started with Blair Witch when really there were a bunch of precursors to that. And then sort of like where the genre has gone since Blair Witch. And it kind of became about like, the nature of controversy and how that propels this kind of stuff and like, you know, how viral marketing was invented and how like a found footage thing on YouTube became the first web series that like completely changed the landscape of YouTube and like modern content creation as we know it. So it's done. I've been working on it since like February and I'm just glad that I don't have to stare at that script anymore. Sounds awesome. Me and my brother Bob would love that. So send me a link if you can. Yeah, we'll do. Um, I'm super stoked about it. I'm, I'm a big horror bro. So it's exciting to like actually make some fun content about it. And it was like super great to do the research for it just because it meant that I got to watch a lot of found footage movies. Cool. Uh, Jay, what do you got? So first of all, you know, when you told me I had to do this, I'm like, I know it's cheesy or corny or, or this is a trope in, in and of itself. I have to I have to mention my wife and my two kids because We've been through hell together with COVID. It's been a lot of like all of us in the same room type of living. You know what I mean? Like we live in a house, but we're on top of each other and having to deal with each other. And I love them so much. And they are like little, little oasises in the desert of reality for me. So my wife and my two kids are just, how lucky am I that I get to be with these people, you know? The other thing is, so I've been working on the studio for Nexus, which Brian told you guys about 
So we we hit 3,500 patrons on my podcast. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm so psyched. And that was a level for us. That was a milestone. So I got to spend a, a chunk of change to upgrade the studio, which turned into mostly dealing with green screen stuff. And <laughs> I realized that the studio to me is my man cave and it is like my favorite place to be and to work. I just love being there and doing what I have to do there to do my job. It's one of the things I spend a lot of time on. So that's that. And the last one, there's a little bit of a, a story to it. It's not something I can describe in a couple of sentences, but this has been on my mind every day since I found out about it. And I think you guys will find this incredibly interesting. So you know the Mandalorian TV show, right? Or at least you are aware that it exists. I have seen right. the first episode, the first season, I mean. John Favreau, who is the producer of this show and, you know, like involved in every aspect of it, he and his team developed something which I would just say is incredible. It's called The Volume. And in essence, it's a soundstage that has 70-foot-tall, super high-quality LED screens, 360 degrees, which these can be moved in and out. And they're all connected, so they act as one seamless, giant 360-degree monitor. Wow. They use the Unreal Engine, which is the highest quality 3D graphic engine that, that it was right. created for games, right? You know that. Um, so they create photorealistic backgrounds that show up on screen. Now, this is, this is the part that's truly incredible. The background image that goes on the screen, these images are so good that they're camera worthy. And that means that when they're shooting, really? all of the beautiful backgrounds in the background of The Mandalorian are actually them through the camera shooting the LED screen as the background. No, really? Yeah, I didn't so know that. That's, that's got to be like a frame rate match kind of thing, right? They have right? to deal with it in post to fix the frame rate issue, but they were able to solve it. Um, and I don't think they have to do anything other than like apply their software to get rid of the frame rate issue. So this is like a legitimate... It's not a green screen set extension. It's an LED set extension and it is the future of filmmaking so to add another layer to this because this hits me on so many different levels that all fascinate me i'm a sci-fi complete fan i absolutely love star wars i absolutely love filmmaking and i absolutely love innovation in filmmaking like all the things that were new and you know i used to watch this stuff at, since i was a kid and i still adore it the amazing thing is that the screen is aware where the camera is Right? Yeah, yeah. So what's showing up on the 360-degree screen knows exactly what the camera is looking at. And when the camera moves, the video that's being put on the screen moves to create realistic parallax. That's incredible. Wow. So that is why this is unbelievable what they've achieved. Now, people have been trying to get to this for a long time without really realizing that this was the holy grail. Because like the earlier iteration of this that they thought was that they would have a moving green screen that would move like that. Like, so when the camera yeah, moved, yeah. the green screen would move. Then they realized, can we do this with screens? You know, and, and they just started to build this monstrosity. And it is <laughs> epic. It is so cool for the future of filmmaking. Like, let me just give you one quick example that we, because we talked about this on my um, science fiction review show. That's called Alpha Quadrant 6, by the way, if you're interested. Um, the idea is like, imagine if they want to get a sunrise or sunset scene with the actors there doing it real quick. In order to make that happen, think about what you got to do. 
You have to get the actors there. They have to be incredibly rehearsed and you have to pull it off and you have minutes to get the light that you want, right? It, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. On this soundstage, you could take a week with this, the sunset. It could be anything that you want, any time of day that you want. It could be any anything that they create. That's the background. You know, the designer has to make it, but once you have it, you've got it. And that's it. And I just think it's so unbelievable to look at the pictures and the video of them using this system to shoot because you get this idea that the actors are now actually immersed in these fantastic sets, which can't exist, right? They're, they're taking a boat down a lava tube on lava. You know, the actors usually have to pretend that that's all there. But when they do it in the volume, they can see it. They can feel it almost, you know? So I just think it's it's incredible innovation. And, you know, you can see all about it online or check out my review of it. I can't stop thinking about it. I'm in love with it. That's awesome. Yeah, looking at pictures of it, it's it's really impressive. I mean, I watched the whole thing and I had no idea that it would at that level of technical innovation. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, a, that's the best way to have it be revealed to you, I think, is afterward when you're like, wait a minute, all of those backgrounds, all of them were fake? That's right. They don't leave the studio. But I was going to say, even more impressive to me about The Mandalorian is that parts of it were actually funny and not just like Star Wars funny. Like you you can get all that <laughs> tech stuff in there and it'd still be incredible. But the fact that they had, you know, fucking Brian Posehn hanging out and just being weird. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. And it wasn't like, you know, as much as Star Wars tries to be funny, it usually fails, except for a few moments here and there in the original uh, three. But the tech stuff is one thing. But I was I was even more impressed that they actually managed to do something actually funny. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Jay, thank you so much for joining us here. This was awesome. Yeah, this has been delightful. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, I feel there's, there's a real synergy with the two of you, but I really feel like I could do a podcast with you guys. You know, we we have the dynamic it takes to do it. So that's a compliment. Hey, that would be awesome. You're such a pro. Like, I mean, you are absolutely the most experienced podcaster we've ever had on. So that's a real compliment. Thank you. Except I will tell you guys, this was the worst recording of my entire podcast. (laughs) I don't know what happened. My wife and I are sharing a computer. This doesn't happen to me. It happens to other people. Like I am an audio engineer. Like I used to run the sound for my band when I was in my band. Like I get audio technology a lot. I understand it. I had an audio nightmare recording this. So I'm going to apologize to you and your fans <laughs> so right sorry. now. I hope it, you get something usable because something my, I'm going to blame my wife, even though I know it really wasn't her fault, but I just have to, I can't blame myself because I'll have to punch the balls off myself if this is my fault. <laughs> You have to blame the vast conspiracy against you recording this episode. It is. There's thousands of people keeping themselves quiet from telling anyone that their goal is to ruin my recording life. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, guys. I loved being on the show with you guys. I loved it. It was so great having you here. Where can people find you? So you could go to theskepticsguide.org or you can go to alphaquadrantandthenumber6.com and about three other websites I won't bore you with. But yeah, those two, you can find me. Skeptics Guide is and has been for years like one of my go-to don't miss an episode podcasts. So I really, independent of Jade being a friend, like it, it, they really, really do good stuff. It's wonderful. And also please everyone join us at Nexus this year, NECSS.org. So much great stuff uh, going to happen there. And Jay, I will talk to you in what, four hours for, yes. our, <laughs> for our meeting for the Friday night game show. I'm looking forward to it, brother. Yeah, me too. Thank you, Leighton. All right, cool. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Hope you're uh, doing well out there, uh, folks who are hearing this podcast in your ears. Stay safe, 
Love you. This is the end of the podcast. Bye. Goodbye. Late Night is produced by Brian Wett, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. 